Hello, everyone. Welcome to our lives with Shannon Fisher. We've got an exciting show tonight. Uh, I've got two really great guests who are both very prominent in the field of dog training. That they have co-authored a book called "Let Dogs Be Dogs," and it is about understanding your dog and creating better human-to-canine communication, which then helps you develop a deeper relationship with your dog. And so I am very excited to welcome Brother Christopher from the Monks of New Skeet and Mark Goldenberg. Welcome, guys. Thank Hi, you Shannon. Very much Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Nice, nice to be here. So, Mark, you are a nationally renowned dog trainer based in Chicago. And, Brother Christopher, you are a monk uh, at the monastery in New Skeet. How did the two of you originally meet? to collaborate on this project? Uh, I had uh, the pleasure a number of years ago of attending a conference uh, of the International Association of Dog Professionals, the IACP, uh, canine professionals. And uh, at that uh, convention, their annual conference, I had the opportunity of meeting Mark, who at that time was president uh, of the IACP. And uh, we just sort of hit it off right away, but it led to actually a deeper connection in terms of just talking about our own approaches to dog training and uh, issues that we saw routinely. Uh, It led to actually a deeper friendship, uh, which, you know, Mark would come to the monastery uh, a number of times you know, maybe a couple of times a year. Uh, And in that time, we really got to know each other very well. And we also had the opportunity to just uh, brainstorm about, you know, our different training techniques, our approaches to problems that we were seeing. I also had the opportunity of attending a uh, a seminar that Mark and another trainer, Martin Dealey, were we're teaching in Florida, which was a wonderful experience for me. Anyway, Excellent. basically, what it what it did is it just uh, uh, it germinated a friendship that the more uh, that aged, uh, I think we we saw the common cern- concerns that we had had a promise for collaboration for collaborating on uh, another book, and so. Uh, that's a very, very distilled uh, answer to a to a process that took place over, you know, 10 years. That's fantastic. Yes, relationship building, especially toward collaboration like that, definitely takes takes time and, and, and trust and mutual respect. So that's, um, that is exciting. Well, I, I'll ask Mark now then. Uh, first things first, I laughed hysterically at the story about your grandparents having a possession of the same breed of dog named Taffy. (laughs) (laughs) Reading that in your book made me, I mean, I cackled out loud. I was on a plane when I was reading it, and everybody looked at me, and I just thought, if they only knew. But you you got into training dogs because your dog was hit by a car when you were a little boy. So tell me a little bit about that process and how, how you came to be a dog trainer. Well, I was sort of a child bride to the, to the dog training industry. Um, my 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 father's people were dog people, but my mother's people weren't. And as you as you noted, my paternal grandparents had a succession of black cocker spaniels, all of whom were named Taffy. 
And uh, I, I think it was just uh, a lack of creativity. <laughs> you know, they found a name they liked and they just stuck <laughs> with it <laughs> over, over the years. And in fact, you know, we actually had to distinguish those dogs by numbers. So if they were telling a story or if I was, somebody would always say, was that Taffy 1, Taffy 2, or Taffy 3? And they, they, they sort of marked the passage of you know, decades by the, by the number tagged on that Taffy. But um, my mom was not a dog person, but eventually I prevailed upon her. Um, I can be kind of persistent, you know, and this is a, a trait that, uh, you know, I think I was born with. So my friend was mononucleosis. My mom got pretty sick. She had mono and, uh, I just, I nagged her mercilessly when she was defenseless. And, um, so I remember the day she said, yes, you can have a dog. Just let me sleep. When I wake up, we'll talk about it again. So, um, I, I did get a dog. Uh, his name was Gus. I, I do tell, we tell, we tell a lot of stories about Gus. In, in let dogs be dogs, but um, mm-hmm. you know I was a, eleven, uh, Shannon, and I really didn't know anything about dog behavior, um, the stages, psychological stages of growth. All, all I knew was I loved my puppy; he was my best friend, and he followed me everywhere. Um, but as he began to enter the teenage years, um, he entered his teenage years, frankly, before I did mine. Right, so he hit sure. that rebellious yeah. stage. Yeah, before I did. And so I really didn't know what was coming. And that's when he started to run away from me. And one day he ran into the street and he got hit by a car. Um, and fortunately, he, he was not killed. He was just mangled. And um, we, we got him patched back together. He needed some surgery and stuff. But that, that dog, by the way, lived till I was 29 years old. So oh, wow. he took me from, yeah, from, from 11 to 29 through my entire childhood. But yeah. as soon as he was healed up from his surgeries, my mother packed us both off to dog school because we lived on a road, and she was pretty sure <laughs> the, the, the dog would get killed. So mm-hmm. um, she sent us all off to dog school, and, and that, was, uh, that was really the beginning for me because I was just bitten by this dog training bug, and, and it has not let go since. Excellent, excellent. And, and Christopher, I understand you were already at the monastery when you were tasked with taking over the, the dog program. So how did that program fall into your lap? Well, it was sort of a, an interesting little uh, history. Uh, when you come to the monastery, you know, you're coming ostensibly for spiritual reasons, not to say that dogs and, and, and humans don't have a real spiritual relationship, but I was coming because I wanted to deepen my own relationship with God. And uh, the fact that the monastery happened to be working with dogs and breeding German shepherds, that was icing on the cake for me. Uh, I had grown up with dogs, but had never really trained them. And so when I came here, uh, I helped out occasionally in the training kennel. One of the brothers, brother, former brother Job, who uh, uh, was very involved in, uh, in the obedience program here, uh, I mean, I would help him usually once a week, uh, uh, but I didn't really go through a mentorship uh, specifically. I mean, I helped, sure. but then I was also doing other you know, chores and work uh, around the monastery during that initial year. Well, as it so happened, uh, Brother Job and the abbot got into an argument, uh, and Brother Job sort of made an abrupt decision to leave the community, and there happened to be probably about eight or nine dogs in the kennel at the time that were here for training. Oh, my God. So uh, (laughs) given the fact that 
training the training program was an important part of our livelihood uh we had a meeting and uh uh when the abbot sort of said well what are we going to do here everyone is tied up except and they all looked at me and uh you know uh they said well you're in a position where you know you're young enough uh, and uh free enough uh to work in the training program would you be willing to try that and so i uh, i said well i'd be willing to try it you know but you sure. know hey i'm going to be you know i'm going to be sort of learning from scratch uh, i'm a rookie right <laughs> that's right so what uh father lawrence uh, the abbot at that time said is oh, okay fine you know it's your responsibility uh and so all of a sudden i had the responsibility of training uh uh dogs that were coming to new skeet for basic obedience training and so essentially what i did during the first 6 months is i lived dogs i ate slept drank <laughs> You know, dogs. No, you didn't I mean, eat. Wait, hold on. You got to clarify. He never ate a dog. The brother Kirk, yeah, he did no, not but eat I mean, uh, uh, I, I mean, basically, I took a cram course. We had a, a, an extensive library in uh, both training uh, material as well as animal behavior, dog behavior, and so I tried to read everything I could get my hands on. And naturally, this is sort of a laboratory uh, because. We had an established reputation by that time. Newskeet was recognized as being a place where people could bring their dogs for uh, obedience training. And so uh, essentially, for the first couple of months, I wound up training uh, very, very long hours to make sure that the dogs, uh, uh, when they were sent home, would be well-trained. And... Uh, naturally, I, I was learning both from our book, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend, but then also a lot of other resources that we had. And so, uh, lo and behold, after about five or six months, I realized, interestingly, that I was actually pretty good at training. It, it sort of uncovered a gift that I didn't really realize I had, and that Excellent. the dogs were going home uh uh, well-trained, and that I was able to communicate sufficiently with the owners to help them understand what their responsibility was uh, once the dog got home. And so uh, that happened basically within the first year that uh, that I was in charge of the program uh, here at Newskeet, which is 1982. And certainly I've been training ever since, uh, uh, here at the monastery. I mean, I've been here at the monastery now 36 years, and so during that time, you know, you can imagine I've seen thousands of dogs, and, and so it's sure. been a real honor and, and privilege to uh, uh, to work for uh, for pe- owners uh, and to work with such a wide variety of dogs. That is wonderful. That's I I love that story. You, it, it was meant to be that you that you connected with these dogs and you didn't even know it at the time. That's great. Right. Well, let's it let's was, talk about the yeah. dogs. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the book is uh, about how we don't realize how much our own behavior that we don't even realize we're exhibiting affects our dogs and the messages that they receive from our nonverbal cues and and the true nature of a dog. So. Um, this one goes to Mark. So in the in the book, you talk about 
like the, the defense drive, the prey drive, the pack drive, and that it's kind of our job to control what natural drive our dog is in. Uh, so tell me a little bit about these these basic drives for a dog. Well, let's just pick out two of them really quickly. Um, if you've ever seen a chihuahua playing with a squeaky toy and shaking it and playing with it, um, that's a puppy in prey drive. Prey drive mm-hmm. is a natural function of canines because these guys are, although they are domesticated, they are in some in, in some real sense domesticated from the wolf. So we are, we our best right. friends are domesticated wolf wolves. So, but after this thirty thousand year journey, the the instincts have been modified quite a bit. But there are definitely vestiges of the of the wolf predator. So, a dog chasing a ball is in prey drive and that is an excited happy drive that we cannot squish and we should not try and eliminate um but it's not it's probably not appropriate um during dinner for example when the family is is at the the dinner table so there is a different sort of an instinct or drive at that point that we want to appeal to and this i think is probably the most difficult to grasp but the most important drive of all that people can learn about their dog, and that is a drive called pack drive. And mm-hmm. pack drive, dogs are pack animals, so they are inherently uh, wired to follow some kind of strong, compassionate leadership in their life. They are, they are drawn to it. And mm-hmm. um, pack drive we would define as the urge to follow and collaborate, cooperate with a leader. So if you know how to live with your dog, if you know how to approach your dog, you will find that the dog begins to look to you for guidance. And mm-hmm. when the dog is looking to see what it is that you want, if, if what you want is to play, most dogs are happy to do that. But if it's quiet time, um, it's pretty easy at that point to teach them to lay down on their place during dinner and just you know, wait for wait for the, a more appropriate opportunity to go into an excited drive. So I think most people are really familiar with dogs in excitement, but mm-hmm. what most of our clients come to us asking for is, I wish he would not be so wild. Um, and so, and, and, and Shannon, you mentioned before that people fail sometimes to realize how their behavior affects the dog. And it's so true. Yeah. I see a lot of um, a lot of our clients say, "I wish he wouldn't be so wild," and then they immediately rile up the dog. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like instantaneous, like they walk in the door and they go, "Baby, how are you?" You know, and the dog is then going, you know, crazy. At which point, the people immediately yell at the dog to stop. Um, right. So uh, we're just trying to help the dog people. Down, right? <laughs> Yelling is going to calm the dog down. <laughs> Well, if, if no. the dog is barking and you're yelling, then everybody's barking, right? And nobody, that's what at that I'm point, saying. Nobody's exactly, in, exactly. Right. Nobody's, nobody's calm in down charge. If so everyone is yelling. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So well, that is, we um, teach a concept. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to summarize by saying we teach a concept called um, compassionate authority, so that people can learn how to exercise authority with their dogs in a compassionate way that makes dogs very, very happy indeed. Definitely, yes. You uh, you guys talk about the the different schools of thinking in dog training, and some are you know some are very authoritarian and perhaps even to the point of cruelty, especially historically. And some uh, of the modern positive only are almost not working because there's no <laughs> there's no correction, and that there's uh, I, uh, one line out of your it's not 
punishment is correction. Uh, and that, that really stuck with me. Uh, and one, my favorite line in the book, uh, dogs like human beings experience fulfillment based on the quality of their relationships, and this happens most naturally within the context of their pack. And, and I think a lot of people don't, they don't think about their relationship with their dog and that they're developing it just like they do a friendship or a family relationship. So I'll send this one to Christopher. What is mindful dog ownership? What is mindfulness and how does that fit into the dog-human relationship? I think that mindfulness is a concept that, as it applies to dog, first of all, recognizes the reality of the dog as the dog truly is. Uh, It's seeing, interpreting, and then responding uh, to the nature, the real nature of the dog, instead of imposing prefabricated or human projections onto the dog that uh, diminish the reality, the actual canine reality of the dog. Uh, And so by applying a mindful approach to training, what one is doing is you're taking into account the nature of the dog, and then you're Mm -hmm. using your own human uh, intelligence, your own human emotion and compassion to uh, create and refine the relationship that you share with the dog in a way that allows its canine nature to blossom. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. basically what uh, good dog training is. Dog training is not simply imposing human will upon the dog in a way that dogs resent or that diminishes their reality. It's rather just the opposite. It is allowing the dog's true nature to flourish. Uh, mm-hmm. The dog's nature and is not static. Yeah, you know, the dog grows into its own canine nature. And so by being mindful of the dog's nature as well as the reality in which the dog lives, okay, the context mm-hmm. of its life, the human owner has the responsibility to pay attention, to be awake, and to respond appropriately in the vast different experiences of daily life that they share with their dogs. Sure. And uh, and every dog has a, has a unique personality. And so um, I'll throw this out to both of you. You guys can decide who to take it first. Um, what what unique personality challenges have you met in certain dogs that have uh, that have really struck you and, and stayed with you all these years? Well, I'll I'll go first. Um, I, I can tell you probably one of the biggest problems we run into is when there is a mismatch in the energy level or the agenda, if you will, of the dog versus the owner. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So I I'm reminded of a very studious. Uh, attorney, a lawyer, um, who she had lots and lots of office work to do. And she would have done very well with the kind of dog who just wanted to go out potty and come back inside. Um, I mean, of course, all dogs need mental and physical stimulation. And it's our job, our responsibility, as Brother Christopher has so aptly phrased it, to meet their physical and psychological needs. But Um, certain breeds of dogs and certain individual dogs have lesser energy requirements, lesser mental challenge 
that they require to be fulfilled than other dogs and individuals and breeds. And so my very studious, very hardworking lawyer um, adopted a, um, a, a coon hound, <laughs> which is a dog that is bred, right? And they're bred to live on farms and to run and to hunt and, and to be, you know, just barking to their heart's content, live in the barn, you know, not that a coon hound can't live in the house because they can't, right. but they just require an awful lot of sniffing and running and hunting. Otherwise, if, and if you don't create some opportunity for a coon hound to do that, then you wind up with a very, very frustrated dog. And in those situations that those dogs are eating the house. And that was, you know, that, so that's one that really stuck with me. Now I'll just really quickly plant the idea before I throw it over to Christopher that for, for this client, the solution was to teach that dog a combination of come when called and to lay down and stay. Um, come when called was critical because this is the way that dog earned liberty. She was, it was unsafe to let her run and play and do the sniffing mm-hmm. that her hound nature needed. It was unsafe to do it because when you called her, she would not come. Um, but once she understood the come command, it was safe to let her run and play. And then also fair to tell her, now you've had your hour of play. I need you to give me two hours of calm. And so compromise was reached, but that was a hard one. That was a hard one battle, I have to say. And it's usually easier if people do some research and match their own temperament before they adopt the dog. Definitely, definitely. I've got I've got two beagle mixes, uh, both both rescues, and and uh, they they definitely present their own challenges. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with, I with can only imagine. And, and, and they're they're snouts leading them everywhere. But they're I mean they're it, it, you just have to you have to know your breed. And I didn't realize before I before I had dogs how different each breed was. And and it's it's each dog has a personality, each breed has a personality, and there's so much to learn in this world, uh, this world of dog training and and dog loving. It's amazing. That's one of the so things Christopher, that. Uh, I would oh, no, just, sorry. Go ahead. you know, piggyback a uh, uh, piggyback a little bit on what Mark had said. Obviously, uh, we see people who, in their busy lives, don't really appreciate what the needs, the actual needs of the dogs are, and when we help them understand what. Uh, what the exercise needs of the dogs are of the individual breeds and their psychological and mental uh, requirements. Uh, And we help them frame that within a understandable and doable structure, which the dog understands and can depend on. What they see is the dog fitting into a rhythm and into a way of life at which the dog understands what the expectations are, its basic needs, its basic energy requirements are being met and fulfilled, uh, and the relationship starts to flower. It's, however, amazing, as Mark indicated, that so many owners don't have a clue as to what the real requirements uh, of dogs are. Uh, instead, they sort of project onto uh, the dog what they think a dog would want based on their own human projections. Uh, and it's sure. once 
they understand, I think, a little bit more realistically uh, what canines really value, you know, the resources that they really uh, uh, will work for and will uh, will find happiness and fulfillment in, that uh, it sort of unlocks the relationship and, and also it galvanizes the... Uh, uh, the energies of the owner to, to to go the extra mile and do what their particular, their unique dog needs for a happy relationship. Definitely, and 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 you talk in the book about how we're always staring at a screen, whether it's the television or our cell phones or a computer, and and that disconnects us. Uh, not only from the people in the room, but also from dogs. And if yeah, you're looking yeah. at your phone when you're walking your dog, that there's um, there's a, a deeper relationship. So, um, so how? So you talk about a, a technique called um, tethering, Christopher. So how does that? How does that bond you to a dog? And and how can people really bond with uh, with the animals that they bring in the house? Well, one of the things that we've done here, and I know Mark does the same thing at his little dog farm, is that once an owner comes and uh, picks up their dog who has been through a a two-and-a-half-week training uh, session, we want to establish continuity between what the structure that the dog was living on uh, here at the monastery, uh, in the monastery training program, with what they'll receive at home. And so mm-hmm. what we found to be a real important technique, not only for small puppies, but also for dogs who are returning home, is for the owner, uh, whenever the dog is in the presence of the owner, the owner has the dog with them, and they have a short tether or a leash uh, attached to the dog so that the dog winds up following the owner uh, wherever the owner goes, throughout the house and then certainly on walks and play sessions, you know, outside. But as it Mm -hmm. relates in the house, it is remarkable how just simply, for example, if if a person is sitting and, you know, writing a, a, a letter or working on the computer and then all of a sudden they realize they want to get a cup of coffee, uh, the dog is there on a downstay to simply pick the leash up, and the dog goes with you to the kitchen. Okay, then the mm-hmm. dog uh, uh, goes back to, for example, the uh, the study uh, is on a downstay again, and then all of a sudden you remember you have something to do in the bedroom. Okay, you pick the leash up, the dog goes to the bedroom with you. What that is doing is simply in a very simple way is causing the dog to pay attention to the owner who is making the decision where they are going. Okay, so the dog is instinctively and in a very natural way looking towards the leadership of the owner uh, in a way that is almost, you know, it's it's a very, very natural process uh, as opposed to, so it's basically what it's showing is that training is going on uh, essentially 24-7. It doesn't have to be simply divvied out into uh, separate 15-minute uh, training sessions with your dog. It can be uh, taken into the entire life uh, with your dog. 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And there's uh, the uh, in reading this book, and I highly recommend it to to all of the listeners out there. You you really when you're talking about the stories about the dogs that you've trained and all of the little vignettes, you really can get a sense of of the personality and the the, the bond that people have with their dog or are building with their dog. And so, uh, Mark, one of the one of the uh, tips that, that you have is to uh, to under, dogs need to understand what they can and can't control and that you need to control the resources. So tell me a little bit about that, Mark. Well, remember, uh, it, you know, it's sort of a different era today, but I, I go back to the, to the, you know, I'm old enough to remember the point in time where um, you sort of had to earn the car keys, you know, when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I, one of the sort of the, the more amusing internet memes I've ever I've ever seen was uh, a list of chores that a father left left for his son to do after school, and it said when when you finish this list, and it was a you know a reasonable list, but it said when you finish this list, call me for today's Wi-Fi password, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> it, 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 and if you think about it for a moment, what a clever you know what a what a clever approach to like getting things done. And um, so just like, just like human beings uh, who we crave and want certain things, so do dogs. And there is a finite list of things that dogs really care about. And so in Let Dogs Be Dogs, we talk quite a bit about how not to deny those resources to your dogs, but how, in fact, to provide them in a way, in, in a sort of a similar way as that father was providing the Internet password you know, to his son, which was in return for some good behavior. Um, and I, and I want to stress far from repressing the spirit of the dog, all of the, all of the material in let dogs be dogs, uh, is designed to ultimately liberate the dog so that your dog learns what your expectations are, learns that his, that you will fulfill his needs, but that in turn, Mm -hmm. he must also fulfill yours. And what that gives a dog is a deeper understanding of you gives you a deeper understanding of your dog and makes both of you much safer and, and, and frankly eliminates a lot of the conflict and micromanagement that we have to do with dogs or that some people do. So sure. ultimately, a well-trained dog is a dog who is physically free to move around because he's safe and he'll come when called, but also knows how to not abuse the privilege. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and you, you give some, some ideas about earning the trust of your dog in the process and kind of giving your dog a massage and grooming your dog and, and taking your dog places to, you know, to show that you take the responsibility seriously and that your dog is safe in your care. And, and I, I think people just don't think about, a lot of people don't think about the emotional needs of their dog and don't even really notice you know their their facial expressions changing or the look in their eyes and the um just the the kind of difference in in the way they look at you uh, through different times of day so for people out there who aren't really in touch with connecting with the dog on an emotional level I'll throw this one to Christopher um how can they how can they develop in addition to training um that emotional connection to the dog I think by spending time intentional time with the dog in a very uh, structured and positive way. Uh, naturally, you, there are plenty of resources 
that are available that help us read uh, dogs' body language uh, and help us understand the signals that dogs give uh, in a way that uh, is entirely often nonverbal. Okay, dogs obviously will vocalize, but uh, they wear their emotions on their bodies, and people are sometimes absolutely deaf to what the dog is saying through its body. There are plenty of resources that can help uh, owners have a general and, and I think pretty accurate understanding of what the dog is communicating through its body. However, I think that the more one... Uh, spends time with the dog, uh, actually, uh, the more that inner relationship, that sympathy, that bond develops. And you find yourself feeling the dog's energy in an entirely natural way, in a way that is not simply the human being projecting on the dog all sorts of, let's say, false or erroneous human emotions and projections. Rather, mm-hmm. you're aware of the dog as an emotional creature, an autonomous creature, okay? This is a different uh, species. That, that's one of the remarkable aspects of the human-dog relationship is that we are able to develop a relationship of this sort of depth with a creature of another species, uh, it's, it's remarkable, and I think that people of all different uh, national backgrounds as well as religious backgrounds, one of the things, or even non-religious backgrounds, I think one of the things that is so compelling about the human-dog relationship is that there is something that people experience in the relationship with the dog that simply transcends what we understand about it. It touches on the level of mystery, and Mm -hmm. that, I think, gives people sort of an understanding or an experience of awe that they can actually have this sort of a relationship with another creature, uh, that it becomes something deeply fulfilling, deeply meaningful uh, in their lives. I mean, I've had very... uh, macho truck drivers, you know, who come to pick their dogs up uh, at the end of a training session and all they're breaking down uh, crying uh, at the reunion, you know, because of yeah. the depth of feeling that they, uh, that they experience with their dogs. Uh, it's not an uncommon experience. And I think what dogs unmask in us is our best nature. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's uh, that really kind of sums everything up because they 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 are constantly good. They're constantly in the moment, and so their their intention is just bringing love and uh, you know and following us and looking for leadership. And so they make us leaders if we step up into that leadership position, and they um, they teach us more about ourselves and the world and the connection, uh, one of the lines, uh, dogs connect to the world not through their data plan but through the richness of their senses. I love that yeah, because that's, yeah, humans yeah. used to do that too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Different it's senses, absolutely true. yeah. Yeah. Well, we are we are winding down on time here, but I uh, let's not, let's close out the show with 
um, I'll ask each one of you, uh, what is the, the number one tip that you, uh, that you have to give people for, for training their dog? Let's start with Mark. Well, Shannon, uh, this is going to be very simple, uh, and it's a little counterintuitive, so people might find this one really, really hard. Um, but most of us like to carry on a running conversation throughout the day with our dogs, forgetting the fact that they don't speak English, let alone any other human language. Um, <laughs> and I hear so so often, I think the, I would say the number one dog owner complaint of all the complaints that we get, the number one dog owner complaint has to be, he doesn't listen to me. <laughs> but when you observe the client and the dog, you know, the client never stops yakking to the dog. Um, and so my, my quick tip is if you speak less, your dog will listen more. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, that's a, it's something that I, as a monk, can certainly uh, echo. Uh, uh, and that's a very, very good tip. Uh, there are any number of tips in the book, plenty, plenty of tips that are bl- based on our collective experience of working. You know, I think collectively we probably share about 70 or 80 years of dog training experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of, of tips. But one thing that I would highlight is this. Most owners think in human terms, and they think that, applying structure to a dog's life is going to inhibit its freedom and make the dog dislike them. When actually, in terms of understanding uh, the dog's true nature, dogs thrive on structure. They thrive when things are predictable. And so to the extent that you can positively uh, apply a clear structure to the dog's day, uh, one that the dog can rely on and which you can help fulfill, you're going to really experience uh, uh, a transformation in your relationship with your dog. Excellent. And that's the, that's the perfect way to end this. You guys have such wonderful advice. And the book includes a long list of specific training methods for aggression, fear, anxiety, uh, typical behavioral issues, socialization. I, um, I highly recommend it. It's called Let Dogs Be Dogs, and it's by Brother Christopher of the Monks of New Seek and Mark Goldberg. Christopher and Mark, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thanks for having us, Shannon. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure being with you. It has been a pleasure having you. And for Our Lives with Shannon Fisher, this is Shannon Fisher on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, signing off. See you next time.